for your inflammation is brought to you by the ouch ouch dance you do when you eat a hot pocket when you first take it out of the microwave. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Inflammation with Zach and John. Smile, Darnia, smile. You know this great world is a good world after all. A sentiment we could all use in these trying times. Welcome to For Your Inflammation, a podcast about great movies, better cocktails, and best friends. We're your hosts, Zach. And I'm John. Uh, what a movie, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if you hadn't gotten that from the title already. We say that every week, but I think they just should have learned by now to get it from the title. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty evident, considering the fact that the title of the episode usually has something to do with the movie, and then also the movie right after the title. So yeah. if you're not getting it, that is on you. You're being impatient there. I get <laughs> you're just clicking that motherfucking play button like god damn it I want to hear what these losers have to say anyway welcome to the show guys uh, as John mentioned we are doing who framed Roger Rabbit this is our first week back from our March Madness series which if you haven't checked that out I would highly suggest it they're all gold star episodes they're all great I promise <laughs> Um, and in that series, John picked out the movies for me to watch, and he personally picked out a movie that I think is horrendous, which is Puppet Master. So I knew for our first week back to series proper, I had to pick something that I thought John might not like. And what does John not like more than anything in this world? Fucking Disney. So I picked Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because it is still a technical marvel. I'm gonna put it like this. So, like, when you make a cocktail, you have, um, a few elements. They're not even specific ingredients yet. They're just elements of a cocktail. So, like, you have to have a base, and you have to have, like, a mixer, and you have to have, like, a sweet and sour element, uh, you know? So, like, maybe you could do, like, a, like a Moscow Mule. You have the vodka, and you have the ginger beer, and that's sweet, and it's your mixer, but you also have a lime, and that balances out the flavor. This one is, like... You give a man a gallon of bleach, but you cut the bleach with a gallon of milk. <laughs> I mean, that that's a very Roger Rabbit thing to do, honestly. Yeah, I so guess it's so. Very, very, very Tex Avery kind of thing to do. Love it. Uh, not a great way to enjoy a beverage, but perhaps less dangerous and uh, self-destroying. <laughs> Just eat your innards with bleach and milk. Bleach and milk from uh, For Your Inflammation. Yes. <laughs> So, John, uh, in all seriousness, I know you don't like Disney movies, so I'm honestly not surprised that you haven't seen this one, but having seen it now, how did you feel about it? Uh, really wasn't that bad. I'm into film noir vibes. I want to get into film noir. I want to get into, uh, that whole side of fiction I haven't really investigated much yet. Uh, Casablanca kind of gave me those vibes, too. That was obviously really great. Uh, not that this movie wasn't great, but, like, I just really got tired of looking at, like, uh, I don't know, Mickey Mouse, uh, over uh -huh. and over again. Uh, trying to figure out what's real and what's not like what, what is an actual cartoon and what's something they made up for the show uh dumbo comes in a bunch big gray fucker i don't like i he, he needs to see a doctor like I, what, what do you mean he's an elephant he's supposed to be big as fuck okay. and his ear i mean like his ears are big as fuck because it's whimsical do you not like whimsy john uh, is that don't keep elephants in cages he needs to go to a doctor i don't know he, that was the whole point of the movie was to not keep elephants in the in the cages. Did you not see that one either? I don't know. He seemed pretty happy eating those peanuts. Uh, uh, I, you know what? Watch Dumbo and then come back to me and then realize how stupid as fuck you sound right now. I have seen Dumbo <laughs> many times between the ages of four and nine when I was supposed to be watching Dumbo. And now that I'm a grown ass man, I drink bleach milk and I avoid it like the plague. <laughs> Sounds like a very uh, McPoyle thing to do from It's Always Sunny. I don't. I cannot believe I just threw an It's Always Sunny reference in here. Oh I'm well. Anyway, speaking of uh, making your own self-destructive drinks, uh, John, why don't you tell me what your cocktail is for, for this week? Give us something that'll make us all feel a little loony. All right. For a long time, I've been looking for an opportunity to use Midori because I think it's a really good liqueur and it's kind of underrated. Okay. Um, this drink is called the Dip. You know, from the movie. That's the thing that they can put the cartoons in and boil them down. I love that stuff i wish i had it i like i'm the phil i'm the phil smith of the dip like if it were a product you could buy i would sell it like flex seal you know what i mean 
Do you have an annoying ass cartoon character in your fucking house? Get this shit and I'll fucking kill him. Yeah, like the, maybe a little less aggressive, you know? No, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, if I had an annoying ass like cartoon shoe or something running around my house, like I'd probably want to kill it too. Like, god damn it, how do I get rid of this thing? Yeah, uh, probably more efficient than a thirty-eight special. Um, although that would probably work if you hit him enough times. I don't know. Do cartoons die that way? Probably not. I don't know, but you know what I just thought about? Mm. Um, do you think that's how they also kill the imaginary friends from Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends? Because at some point, they gotta run out of room in that house. Like, they gotta get rid of him at some point, somehow. This is completely not related to cocktails, so uh, why don't we go back <laughs> into the cocktails? Yes, please, please. Okay. <laughs> so this cocktail is called The Dip, and here's how you're gonna make it. You're gonna take two ounces of Midori, one ounce of lime juice, a half half ounce of lemon juice, a half ounce of dry vermouth, and a half ounce of vodka. Uh, you're gonna mix those together in your cocktail shaker. Um, I recommend double straining your juices for this cocktail because under normal circumstances, I'm not like really anal about like getting pulp out of drinks, but for this one, I think it's necessary because you really wanna show off the coloration of the Midori and it doesn't really get the same effect if there's a bunch of stuff floating around it. If it's like an Arnold, not an Arnold Palmer, I mean, sure, why not Arnold Palmer? Uh, Tom Collins or uh, like a gin and tonic or something like that, that's fine. Put pulp in it, nobody cares. Save yourself some time. Give yourself something to chew on, I guess, if you're into that. This is not one of those drinks. Then you're gonna shake your ingredients for uh, about 30 seconds or so and strain it into an ice-filled highball glass and serve it. Not that bad. A uh, nice green color, kind of emerald. Really does remind you of the dip from the movie. Uh, you know, it's green, it's tall, it's cylindrical. Uh, what else could you want out of a cocktail? Uh, you, it's got alcohol in it. It's pretty. It reminds me of the movie. Uh, and it melts down it, your childhood dreams. Hell yeah, like, you know, wanting to be a Disney Imagineer like I did. Uh, that went down the drain really quick when uh, I realized I can't do math. Now, yeah. whether that's my fault or Paulden County's fault, it's yet to be determined. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, so uh, there's a little bit of a story there for you guys that don't know what we're talking about. And let's not get into it here because it's really aggravating and depressing. It really, really is. Uh, just know that uh, me and John were not taught math good. Yeah, we don't do good math. We don't do good math. And and uh, anytime we have to use math, it is it is not a fun day. So how about something a little less depressing? Uh, why don't we go talk to a, a character of our own? Someone that we uh, love and adore on the show. I'm really excited to get to talk to him this time. Oh yeah, shit, that's right. You've never actually talked to Frank. It's going to work out this time, though, because Frank has to call us remotely. Uh, it seems he's held up in Toontown, of all places. Interesting. So was he doing a little bit of, like, uh, reconnaissance, doing a little bit of reporting so that we could have a good episode? Or is he just, like, a uh, quarantine? To there like what's going on i know times are kind of rough i don't know but uh he said he's stuck out there so uh, he said he'd give us a call um and it looks like he's giving us a ring now um all right i'll go ahead and pick it up on the skype call call from prisoner 4276 at toontown penitentiary will you accept the charges oh shit it, is he well i guess he really is held up uh yeah we'll, we'll accept the charges God. now connecting you to prisoner 42766. Frank, are you there, buddy? Hey, 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 it's me. I'm glad to be here on the phone with you. Hey, Frank, what's going on, man? It sounds like you're uh, a little trapped out there. Uh, hey, uh, Frank, I got John here. Uh, this should be the first time you guys have ever interacted, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, Frank, I've heard so much about you. Uh, I, I just uh, didn't know it was going to be under these circumstances that we met like this. Oh, yeah, I've heard quite a bit about you as well. You know, I walk down an alleyway, someone says your name, and I, I walk uh, up an alleyway someone says your name uh i sit alone in a dark room and i keep hearing your name i i i really don't know how to feel about that frank but it's it's glad to uh, it's, it's good to see you kind of so so frank um why exactly are you in toontown jail uh is, is that the only phone you could get to in toontown or is, is everything okay well much like the uh the song born in the usa by bruce springsteen i i, I have found myself in a little hometown jam oh okay um did did you live in Toontown for a while? Mm, briefly. Oh, okay. Uh, what what happened there? Well, you know, I uh, I found a found a few drinks and I started having them and uh, some some antics ensued and I uh, woke up in the drunk tank and uh, yeah, it, it was not a great time for me. Oh, okay. So did they let you go and everything was okay? Uh, yeah, of course. Okay, um, Frank, we have uh like a letter here. It says it's from Toontown District Court. Uh, do, do we need to open this? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Okay, uh, well, I'm gonna go ahead and, uh, open this guy up right here, just, uh... Alright, we gotta- Oh, Jesus. Oh, God! This is a- It's not what it looks like. 
looks like is not what it looks like, I promise. Frank, you're asking us to be a character witness in a trial for you burning down Goofy's house 75 years ago and then going on a drunk rampage and th which resulted in the death of Popeye the Sailor? Well, uh, it's a little fuzzy to me at the moment. I don't quite remember exactly what happened, but uh, yeah, that sounds kind of close. I, Frank... Have you been- so you are actually a criminal on the run. You weren't lying when you said that then. What can I say? I am the genuine article. Oh my god. <sighs> Alright, well I, I guess we'll have to get out there. What's the best way to get to Toontown? Well, there's a tunnel. Uh, that's about it. Uh, I can break through a wall again. Oh god. Okay. Alright, Frank. Um, so before they dip you out there, I don't know if that's gonna work for you or not. Uh, why don't you give us a synopsis on who framed Roger Rabbit? Yes, I can't wait to see one of these in-person synopses is that is that plural for synopsis wait i don't want to think about there being more than one frank synopsis uh i don't either frank give it to us straight baby all right here goes another. frank valiant private eye is hired by studio head rk mooney to investigate jessica rabbit a burlesque performer and wife to cartoon superstar roger rabbit after roger sees valiant's pictures of jessica playing patty cake with acne ceo and owner of toontown marvin acme roger goes missing the next morning marvin acme is found dead crushed by a piano the infamous judge doom and his toon goons seek out roger for murder frank valiant may be the only thing standing between roger and the dip. Beautiful, beautiful. You're saying it like you know how the Toontown justice system works. It's almost like I do. All right, Frank. Well, I I mean, I, I, I need to know more about what's going on here because- Call ending in one minute. Oh, shit, Frank. I, I guess we, I guess we gotta get going. I mean, uh, we only get so long on these calls. Uh, we'll definitely give you a call tomorrow so we can fish out the details for this. Please do. It's very, very dire that you do that. Uh, also, could you send me my bus fare? I'm gonna need it in the commissary fund this time so I can get some stuff from the prison store. All right, Frank. We'll make sure you can get some ramen packets. Uh, hang tight, buddy. All, All right, right I'll see you later. All right, thank you. Thank you for your call. That will be $752. Thank you. Yeah, Jesus just hang up. Christ. It's not gonna... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way we're going to pay that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We're not paying that. And uh, I guess that means we can't go to the summons because uh, we will also be wanted at Toontown ah, he's, for he's outstanding Frank. bills. He'll figure, He'll figure it out. He'll get out. It'll be fine. Oh, man. All right. Well, with the synopsis out of the way, let's get right into the info because there is just a plethora of information on this. Uh, there are about three different making ofs of this movie. So I kind of compiled the best information possible so that I can tell you, John, how the fuck they made this shit. Yeah, uh, I really thought when I was watching it that it was going to be kind of a crazy story knowing how they did the uh, like the live action and the animation together interacting at the same time. And it's pretty early for that. I know, like, motion tracking is how they do a lot of animation these days, but mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't really a thing in 88. Right. In as a matter of fact, like, this movie contains no computer-generated graphics whatsoever. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is all hand-drawn. All of it. True it's to form. Nuts. True to form. So, like, there's some, like, composite effects that had to be done in the computer, but we'll get to that. Okay, okay. Okay, so, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was released on June 22nd, 1988. It was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who was hot off Back to the Future, and Romancing the Stone at that time. Um, if you don't know any of those movies, he also directed Forrest Gump, and everybody's seen Forrest Gump. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, even I've seen Forrest Gump. Even you've seen Forrest Gump. Uh, the screenplay is by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman, who are a writing team who are responsible for Doc Hollywood, uh, Wild Wild West, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Shrek the Third. So a uh, lot yes. of... Hollywood classics <laughs> like Shrek the Third. You know, Shrek the Third was an improvement on Shrek 2. I just gotta say. First off, you know, stop. Shrek 2 is the best movie <laughs> in that series. Which one is the one where Shrek turns human? I'm pretty sure that's Shrek the Third. It's Shrek 2. Is it Shrek 2? It is Shrek 2 because he uh, goes to the fairy, the fairy godmother's there and then Fiona turns human, but Shrek also figures out how to turn human. And so what happens in the third one? Uh, something about Ar Artie, like their nephew or something. He's like King Arthur, but he's a kid and they go and find like Merlin and he's oh, yeah, in he's, the woods or some shit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's voiced by Justin Timberlake and it's not this movie, so we need to stop talking about it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, this movie is actually loosely based on a novel called Who Censored Roger Rabbit by Gary K. Wolf. Yeah, and I bet we'll you get into... out of that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love censorship. Censorship's great. 
Um, <laughs> this movie was produced by Frank Marshall and Robert Watts. Music by Alvin Silvestri. Uh, animation supervisor Robert Williams, who's a uh, big Disney guy. He, uh, he he was an animation supervisor on a lot of classic Disney movies. Too many to go into right now. Uh, it was distributed by Buena Vista Pictures, which is, if you didn't know, through their Touchstone Pictures banner. Okay, so uh, Touchstone was also associated with Starship Troopers, right? I, I think so, yes. I don't remember exactly. I think um, Starship Troopers was Columbia. Oh, that was TriStar, not tri Touchstone. TriStar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Touchstone is um, the same banner that, like, a Nightmare Before Christmas was released under. Uh, Touchstone is just a banner that Disney uses for, like, uh, movies that might be too raunchy for the uh, Disney banner. I see, I see. Yeah, so, like, there's actually a lot... Of, so, Disney has actually produced some rated R films, but they've released it through Touchstone. I see, I see. Like, the one movie where they put a, uh, they put, like, a like a bone in between the legs of Jack Skellington. I believe you were watching The Nightmare Before Jack-Off, and that is not Disney-sanctioned. Ah, uh, okay. I, I, whatever. It was a natural or, next step for when you infantilize a whole group of adults and then they turn horny, but they never stopped watching Disney. Yeah, that's where you get all those Bone Daddy t-shirts from, and I'm not about that. You don't like Bone Daddy? <laughs> you don't like I don't, Jack Skellington? Jack Skellington? I feel like we've talked about this before, and I'm not comfortable with it. First of all, how can a skeleton be jacked? That sounds like a fucking bone disease. In second. <laughs> Just gonna put some content up on the Facebook for you later, so you guys can see what I'm talking about. Oh god, I don't want buff Jack Skellington. Um, anyway, the budget for this movie was $50.6 million when all was said and done. More on that later. And, uh, the box office return was $329.8 million. Ah, uh, yes, great. You know, uh, I don't know how many mouths we could feed with that money, but, uh, someone at Disney is just slapping dick with a stack of hundred. Oh, hell yeah, especially because they did not believe in this shit. Once again, more on that later, but we gotta get through, we gotta get through the greens to get to the meat here. Right, mm. so the cast for this movie was, uh, Bob Hoskins, British, by the way, as Eddie Valiant, uh, Christopher Lloyd, uh, from Back to the Future as Judge Doom, uh, Charles Fisher as the voice of Roger Rabbit, Benny the Cab, Greasy, and Psycho, uh, Stubby K as Marvin Acme, Joanna Cassidy as Dolores, Alan Tiven as R.K. Maroon, uh, Lou Hirsch as the voice of Baby Herman, Kathleen Turner as the voice of Jessica Rabbit, which she chose to go uncredited for. Why, though? I don't know. I could not find any good information on that. Um, and then also very interesting, Mel Blank, the original voice of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Tweety Bird, and Sylvester, this was actually, um, one of the next-to-last portrayals he did of those characters before his death the next year. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, Actually, even more interestingly enough, if you're a Futurama fan, um, Billy West, who is the voice of Fry and also the voice of Doug from Doug, um, replaced him. Okay, so they got the OG, the genuine article for this movie. Yes, and uh, right under the wire. I mean, this guy was riddled with health issues at this point. Yeah, well, you couldn't tell in this performance, so. No, 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 no. Mel Blanc was a class act all the way. There's a great documentary called uh, I Know That Voice about voice acting, and he's a in a big chunk of, not in it, but they talk about him for a good bit of it class act guy love Mel Blanc anyway um so the beat let's start where all movies start at the novel um so Who Framed Roger Rabbit is loosely based on a novel called Who Censored Roger Rabbit by Gary K. Wolf that came out in 1981 um there are several stark differences between Who Censored Roger Rabbit and Who Framed Roger Rabbit so in Who Censored Roger Rabbit Roger Rabbit and his pals were comic strip characters and not cartoon characters they would like pose for the strips as if they were like you know photo shoots so i think that makes more sense in a novel so i, I kind of like that um and in the world of the novel the tunes are able to make copies of themselves that only last for a few hours so that they can do like you know those action shots Mm -hmm. And uh, the real Roger Rabbit is killed, and his copy goes around with uh, Eddie Valiant to find the killer before he vanishes. Okay, that's a pretty interesting premise, I think. Uh, I, I don't know how well-received the novel was, but I'd be interested to see how they got this concept across on the page. Uh, uh, it's definitely something I want to read, but I just have not gotten to it yet. It's been in my Amazon uh, save for now for, like, years. But anyway... Regardless, uh, Disney bought the rights for this, like, pretty fucking quick. Like, as soon as the novel was on shelves, Disney pretty much bought it. Because they had the idea to change it into what it is now. Um, then-CEO of Disney, Ron W. Miller, appointed writers Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman to write the script. And they wrote two different versions of the script, which we will get into momentarily. Um, Robert Zemeckis offered to direct the film, but was turned down because his first two films, I Want to Hold Your Hand and Used Cars, were box office. Office failures. 
Okay, so uh, the guy didn't have two good movies, so they kept him from having another not good movie. Like they didn't believe in the movie, right? <laughs> They, they believed in the movie to begin with. The reasons that they uh, kind of felt waning on it afterwards, we will get into. But that's going to be later in the episode. Okay. So it seems to me like if you have a movie that you think might work, then you don't want to spend your time on that one. You want to give that to the guy who hasn't been great recently. Right, right, right. So, like, you you want to put it in the hands of someone who may or may not make something good? Sure. Or you want to at least take your top-tier guy and put him with your top-tier idea. Right. And so Robert Zemeckis was not that guy at this time. So in between trying to figure out, you know, who was going to direct and, like, what the story was going to be, they decided they needed to probably do some test footage first. Test footage was shot between 1981 and 1983 using Paul Rubens, uh, who is Pee Wee Herman as the voice of Roger Rabbit, Peter Renaday, um, who is, like, a veteran Disney star. He was, like, a bunch of voices and a bunch of uh, live-action stuff. Like, a lot too much, a, a lot to mention here as Eddie Valiant and Rusty Taylor, who was the then voice of Minnie Mouse as uh, she recently just passed away so rip um as Jessica Rabbit um and then you know so in between this time it was like kind of like a getting shelved getting put back on the front burner you know kind of getting put back put back on the front burner until uh Michael Eisner took over as CEO of the Disney company in like 1982 I believe and uh, he actually got Steven Spielberg's production company Amblin Entertainment to uh, come on and help with the film and produce it a little bit see I'm so just imagining Steven Spielberg walking into the room and doing that thing that he did when he saw the first test screening for Star Wars and just crying and saying, it's beautiful when he sees Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> I just imagine Steven Spielberg has like a like a like a sex doll of Jessica Rabbit in his house. Yeah, I imagine how hard that must have been to get in like 1988. You know, back before you could just order a custom sex doll on the internet or visit one of the robo sex brothels that now exist in the world because people are terrible. It, is it like so? Are you there to buy your own robot to take home, or are you using a robot that other people have used? Um. Yes to both. So you can rent them and use them there, or you can buy one yourself, as I understand it. I did a whole paper in my philosophy class about it because it is fascinating, but uh, yeah, it's kind of both. Okay, so you can either rent to own or you can own. Yeah, if you don't rent to own. <laughs> it's, it's a, you're not leasing a vehicle. <laughs> Fair Fair enough. Um, anyway, so Eisner believed the film could save Disney's then tanking animation studio, which had like seen a string of failures, including The Black Cauldron, which if you have not seen that, it's not as bad as people make it sound. It's definitely not Cars 2. Oof. Cars 2 is by far one of the worst, most expensive movies I've ever seen in my life. You know, honestly, though, The Black Cauldron kind of got set up for failure. There's a whole slew of information out there about it, but it just kept getting undercut by the studio, and the guy that was supposed to be in charge of it wanted to do it for so long, and they never let him do it, and then they finally broke and let him do it, but they just didn't want to support him because they didn't want him to do it the whole time. Something like that. It was really messed up what they did to that movie. It really was, and it showed, like, when, when, when a studio does not care about a movie, you can tell. And it's usually because it's coming out in January. It's always January that they throw this shit out there. Anyway, um, so the original budget for this movie was $50 million, which Disney thought was way too expensive. So they kept working down the budget and working it down. And then they finally greenlit it at 30 million which at the time was still the highest budget for an animated movie like of all time they took that 40 percent off the top cut it down 20 million dollars because they knew secretly it was going to do great but they wanted to have the capital on hand to pump out all of those jessica rabbit sex dolls right because when you make a character like that you got to you got to and that's actually what got Wee herman in trouble he was uh masturbating thinking about jessica rabbit in a I, movie you know what uh every day we fall further from god's light <laughs> And uh, this definitely is uh, like an immovable object, unstoppable force thing. Or like the Jessica Rabbit sex appeal is the immovable object. And the depression addled post-nut clarity is the unstoppable force. <laughs> All I'm saying is that if God didn't want these things to happen, he'd show his face every once in a while. Anyway. <laughs> Hot takes. Hot takes. Hot show takes. me you show me you care, God. Jessica um, Rabbit versus the God Delusion. <laughs> Jessica Rabbit versus Jesus tonight on HBO. Um, alright. So the next question you probably have is how the fuck did they get all these Warner Brothers cartoons in a Disney movie? I'll tell you how. Steven Spielberg. Um, he went to all of the different studios, um, which at the time was like Warner Brothers, Flesher Studios, uh, famous for Betty Boop, uh, King Feature Syndicate, Felix the Cat Productions, Turner Entertainment. 
Entertainment and Universal Studios to lend their characters to the film. Uh, and most of them were cool with it. They thought it was a nice idea. Um, the only thing that uh, there were some stipulations to what they could do with the characters. So like, uh, for example, Warner Brothers said that uh, for the scene where Donald and Daffy are playing uh, dueling pianos, mm -hmm. Daffy cannot be a worse <laughs> piano player than Donald. So it's kind of like a, like a please don't make us look bad kind of thing. Like don't, ma don't make this about making the Disney characters look better than these I other see. characters. Like please make it look like it's like some sort of like equal society. I which see. I think is fair. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I'm sure Universal Studios had a big thing when they tried to get the uh, Mike Myers Cat in the Hat character in there, and they couldn't figure out whether to animate him or just let Mike Myers do the character live action. Yeah, I mean, like, God, that movie was in production hell for so long, they filmed it in 1932, and then it didn't come out until the 2000s because, like, society just wasn't ready. Yeah, they weren't ready for the eternal Mike Myers. They, they weren't ready to accept the fact that he was a vampire that had been alive for 500 years and could have potentially filmed it in the third right and it, that it was even before the the book came out anyway that is not roger rabbit we'll we'll Bro. do we'll do the cat in the hat at some point imagine <laughs> the wizard of oz but instead of the cowardly lion it's just mike myers cat in the hat i don't want to imagine that that sounds horrifying Technicolor, anyway think about technical good god damn <laughs> all right so there, there were actually a couple of characters they could not get the rights to and those characters were popeye tom and jerry little lulu or the or the terry tunes characters which is uh, like mighty mouse and friends uh, I see. And uh, the other thing about this was that, like, none of the studios had anything to do with the animation of this. So all, so Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, all of them were all animated by Disney animators. It kind of shows. Yeah, they, they look a little off. Mm -hmm. They look a little off. They look a little too, like, you know, like, Looney Tunes characters kind of look a little blocky to me. Like, to me, like, Looney Tunes would be, like, Android, and Disney cartoons would be, like, Apple. Right. Like, they have a Looney very distinct are look. clearly superior and cheaper, but people are brainwashed into thinking that Disney is better. We could argue about this for an entire podcast, and I refuse to do that because I love you. You know what's <laughs> ironic, though, is that I'm recording on an iMac and you're recording on a PC right now. That is because I am broke as fuck and spend all my money on Blu-rays. Anyway, um, so... Terry Gilliam was actually offered the uh, the director role for this movie. Uh, if you don't know who Terry Gilliam is, he is uh, famous from Monty Python, and you should know that, and I hate yeah. you for not knowing it. Um, he turned it down because he thought it looked way too technically difficult, and he said he regretted this decision a lot later on. Um, they kind of, like, you know, played the director game like they were just trying to get people until eventually Robert Zemeckis threw his name back in there after uh, Spielberg came onto the picture. And because of uh, Back to the Future and Romancing the Stone, which were his next two movies after the ones I mentioned before, Disney was like, okay, you can come do this now. And uh, I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory here. Oh, okay. Or, or it's not even really a conspiracy theory. This is just how I think this probably went down. Um, All right, cue I think, the X-Files theme. Cue the X-Files theme. Um, I think that because Disney was already in bed with Back to the Future at one point, like, Back to the Fu Disney toyed with producing Back to the Future for a little bit. I don't know if you knew that, but they did. I didn't. And Zemeckis was always supposed to be the director for Back to the Future. And, you know, Back to the Future was also produced by Steven Spielberg. So I think a little bit of, like, a, you know, bringing the boy up, like, he would... Like, Spielberg was just bringing Zemeckis on, and he said, if I'm going to do this, you have to let Zemeckis direct it. I, re okay. I really think that's how that happened. Good looking Because it, it, it makes too much sense, because they were already in bed with him for Back to the Future for a little bit, and then they decided not, they decided to part ways on that. And then he comes back around to do Roger Rabbit, like what, not even two years later when they started filming this? It's a little fishy to me. Hey, that's Hollywood magic. That is Hollywood magic. All right, so that's the beginning stages. We are now into pre-production. Ooh. Um, a, a lot of people were asked to be Eddie Valiant before they got to a uh, Hoskins. Um, I'm just gonna run it down a little bit. Okay, so the Spielberg's first choice was Harrison Ford because of course it is. Right. Uh, Spielberg and George Lucas are notorious Harrison Ford stands. Um, but his price was a little too high for the budget, so he had to be let go. Uh, Bill Murray was considered, but, uh, due to his uncanny way of receiving offers, he missed out on the opportunity. Uh, did you know about this? Um, Bill Murray has a secret phone that, um, you have, and he changes the number every once in a while. Like, as soon as someone figures out the number, he changes it. So, you have to call that number, but the stipulation is, is if you figure out what that number is, he has to do whatever you ask him to do. I like this idea. I think we can run with this. Um, I think... 
Frank Synopsis needs one of these phones. He just needs. I a completely phone agree. Person. Let's get let's get Frank Synopsis into someone else's podcast. Now I want to know though uh, why they did not consider an up and coming Danny DeVito to be Eddie um, Valiant. I could definitely see that. Like that 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 does make a lot of sense, but. Danny DeVito was actually known more for dramatic roles at this time. So I think that maybe he was kind of looked over as probably not having like enough comedic, you know, like stamina to do a movie like this. Boy, did they fuck that away. Oh boy, they did fuck that away because It's Always Sunny is great and a great renaissance for Mr. DeVito. And then he almost fucked it up with the Lorax. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Eddie Murphy turned down the role because he didn't understand the concept. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) I mean, trying to... on paper this movie makes no sense um and then some other actors that were considered and you know who knows if they were actually in talks or if there were any contracts drawn i'm just gonna run it down uh chevy chase robin williams robert redford jack nicholson sylvester stallone stop and don Hold Lane. Up right there <laughs> sylvester stallone and jack nicholson i bet their prices were too high i could you imagine it. jack nicholson could you imagine that face jack nicholson would have been my first choice honestly i think jack though? nicholson would have been great in this role not that don hoskins doesn't do a good job because he does oh yeah absolutely i, I I would have loved to have seen Jack Nicholson in this role. It would have been awesome. Yeah. Literally just do the same thing you did in The Shining. <laughs> this is The Shining Part 2. This is what he's seeing in his head. Right, because essentially they are picking a Michael Jordan from Space Jam Disney version. <laughs> Well, th- th- this predates Space Jam by a couple of years, of to course, be fair. But even then, that's basically what they're doing here. They're just picking a human spokesman to interact with animated cartoon characters. Correct. It is literally so, just the other side of the coin. Space Jam is the other side to the Who Framed Roger Rabbit coin. I love it. it except there's no Disney characters in there. It's just Looney Tunes. They could have got, uh, just to keep with the sports thing, they could have got Wayne Gretzky to be Wayne Eddie Gretzky. <laughs> I, I don't know what this movie has to do with hockey, and I don't know what this conversation has to do with what I'm talking about. So Mike Tyson, on. he was in his prime. That is fair. This movie would not have aged well with Mike Tyson, though. Anyway, um... He just bites so Roger Rabbit's fucking ear off. <laughs> I, didn't mean, I didn't mean it when I bit off your ears, Roger. You mean it! <laughs> you said ears, plural. That's an earless rabbit. Wandering around Los Angeles. <laughs> isn't that just a squirrel? An earless rabbit? Isn't that just you a shut big up. squirrel? Do this right now. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the Judge Doom role. Um, the <laughs> fuck Judge Doom. That the role was originally supposed to go to Tim Curry, but the execs at Disney found him too terrifying. Shocker. Which is interesting because not even like four years later, he uh, played a character in the Beauty and the Beast Christmas movie, and it is terrifying the character he plays. I, so I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking there. I like seeing Tim Curry and stuff. He was really good in it, and he would have been really good in this. I completely agree. But maybe it was the it tie in. Maybe that was like the. Mm, kids still know him as an evil clown, so let's, let's throw that away. That's basically um, other what he's doing, though. They just put him in like a nazi get up exactly um so other actors that were considered for this role were christopher lee who turned down the role uh john cleese also of monty python fame fame and then um sting so this Musician is like a, like a labyrinth david bowie situation they're proposing here i guess but what the fuck sting they should have just got david bowie if they were thinking about sting they should have just considered david bowie too. dude i I, I would have been down for David Bowie in this role, but we got Christopher Lloyd, who got his role based on his work in the Zemeckis and Spielberg film, Back to the Future, that we've mentioned several times already. Ooh, how about a Peter Cushing? Peter Cushing? I could see that. I could see that. Like, you need someone who's, like, I kind of like Christopher Lloyd's portrayal of the character where it's still zany, but, you know, threatening. Right. You need a like, lawful it's, evil Gygaxian trope. Exactly. Like, it's the, um, it's the evil side of zany. Because, you know, like, you've got Roger Rabbit, who's, like, the, you know, the chaotic good side. Mm-hmm. And then Judge Doom is the lawful evil. Right. And uh, Frank Synopsis is the chaotic evil. I think um, Frank Synopsis is true neutral. I think he's a sociopath. Interesting. Anyway. He could be a chaotic neutral, maybe. A chaotic neutral. That's that's exactly what it is. All right. So, and then for the final piece of pre-production, um, Roger Rabbit's design was based on Tex Avery's cashew nut-shaped head, the swatch of red hair, a swatch of red hair like Droopy's, Goofy's overalls, Porky Pig's bow tie, Mickey Mouse's gloves, and Bugs Bunny's cheeks and 
ears. Kind of a little how... derivative there, I guess, but I, I get what they were going for. Yeah, they were trying to make a mishmash of all the different types of cartoons they were trying to put in there. I feel like they could have picked a few other ones. Uh, they could have done, like, a Marvin the Martian. Uh, they could have done, like, um, those guys from Song of the South. Uh, they could have right. done, like, a, they could have added a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I feel like if you had your way, John, this movie wouldn't have been made at all, though. It would definitely be rated R, and it would probably be banned in most states. Good God. All right, so now that we've got all of the pre-production and everything out of the way, let's talk about the writing. Okay, so first of all, the um the red car plot and the highway expansion thing that's like Judge Doom's like big ultimate plan for destroying Toontown, that was actually a thing that happened in L.A. in the 1940s. Oh, so this is like an actual dirty politics film noir thing that happened? Yes, and almost exactly the way that it was. Like, they were going to destroy this little town to make way for the highway, which in the 40s was a new thing. Right, because they took it from the Nazis. Right, because they were over in Germany and they were like, hey, you know what they've got right? Being able to go 60 miles per hour on that highway. Let's oh, well, get I'm that. sure I'm glad I didn't speak up and say what I thought they got right. I'm glad you didn't either, John. Um, so the first couple scripts that they wrote for this, let's like I said, they finished two scripts that were completely different before we got to the one that we got. Um, the first couple scripts had Jessica Rabbit and Baby Herman as the villain. <laughs> And um, originally in one version of this, Judge Doom had a line where he said that he was the one who killed Bambi's mother. Ah, uh, that rapscallion bastard. <laughs> I can't I feel like believe would... he'd do a normal human thing like hunting a deer, like Dick Cheney, but that didn't shoot a guy in the fucking face. Worse, he killed Bambi's mother, making for one of the most awkward and sad things to watch with a child ever. Who is more evil, Judge Doom or Dick Cheney? Um, considering that Dick Cheney is a real person and sucks, I'm gonna go Dick Cheney. <laughs> okay, so you heard it here first, guys. Judge Doom, not more evil than Dick Cheney. <laughs> Because Dick Cheney is real and sucks. And he has, like, three hearts. Um, another one, uh, another scene that was cut from the initial film that did make it into the final script was a scene at Marvin Acme's funeral, which was not shot due to uh, pacing issues. Like, they felt like it um, was slowing down the movie. And this would have had a lot of cartoon characters in it, and I'm just going to go down down the list in no particular order. Uh, Foghorn, Leghorn, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Tom and Jerry, Heckle and Jekyll, Chip and Dale, Mighty Mouse, Superman, Popeye, Olive Oil, Bluto, Clarabelle Cal, The Seven Dwarves, and Casper the Friendly Ghost. Uh, what about Casper Van Dien? Casper Van Dien was not... Well, he was probably born at this time, but he was not a star at this time. Right. This would have been uh, about nine years before Starship Troopers. The uh, Starship Troopers came out in 97. 97, and this came out in 88. Yeah. So this was nine years before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really glad that they considered Foghorn Leghorn. I think Foghorn Leghorn is an underrated Warner Brothers character. Completely agreed. Yeah, like there's Absolutely a lot of 100%. gold. Absolutely 100%. Yeah, that you, you could get a lot of gold out of Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> Imagine if Foghorn Leghorn was the only only one who witnessed uh, Marvin Acme's death. That would have been amazing, and um, I'm sad or, they didn't do that. I, I actually don't think I saw Foghorn Leghorn in here. I'm pretty sure he actually plays basketball in Space Jam, too. He does. Yeah, like, uh, I, I'm really into that idea. Like, I think Foghorn so, Leghorn deserves more spotlight. So, John, while thinking about that, what if they did this movie now? And, mm -hmm. uh, what if Boomhauer was the only one who witnessed the crime? Well, that would make a lot of sense, considering he works for the FBI. He could probably wrap it up pretty quick. Mm, dang old Judge Doom came over here, and dang old dropped that piano on Marvin Ackman. Dang old, this Toontown's crazy, man. <laughs> Damn it, Boomhauer, I don't know how you're gonna do anything out here when you keep mumbling like that. <laughs> So, on a side tangent, I love that in that one episode of King of the Hill, where you hear what's going on inside Boomhauer's head, he talks normally. Yeah, I, I think that's something that most people that have a weird thing they do in their speech are like. Like, I think most people do speak normally in their own head. <laughs> Probably. I would assume so. Especially people anyway. who write normally. Yeah, people who write normally and then have, like, a weird, like, thing that they do or say... Like me. You got a goddamn speech impediment. <laughs> I wish I, w I wish my voice was distinct enough to have a voice, a speech impediment or something, but, like, I just sound like a white guy, like, I, and I can't change that about myself. But I've learned to live with it. Anyway, what they couldn't learn to live with was the title for this movie. Mm. Um, 
They had so many different titles for this movie, um, and they were all horrible, and I don't know how they didn't go with the one that they had, or the one that they went with. So original working titles for this movie were Murder in Toontown, Toons, mm. Dead Toons Don't Pay Bills, The Toontown Trial, Trouble in Toontown, and by far the worst, this had to have just been like a like a shot in the dark. Eddie goes to Toontown. Okay, I think Dead Toons Don't Pay Bills is like way too dark noir-esque. Like that, That's just too on the yeah. nose for what they were going for. But in Toons, is too like simple yeah but eddie goes to toontown that's a horrible title yeah you should be fired yeah not not a good one not your best work all right so we can finally get into the production side of this and because it is a animation hybrid movie there's also a lot of post-production stuff so i'm gonna try and get through this as quickly as possible all right so the film went way over budget quick as fuck uh shocker (laughs) when it reached 40 million dollars michael eisner actually considered shutting down production but jeffrey katzenberg um a disney studio executive at the time Uh (laughs) convinced him otherwise and the film capped out at about 50.6 million dollars interestingly enough and this is the only i'm gonna try and make this my only side note here a Jeffrey Katzenberg went on to uh, help with uh, DreamWorks Studios and 100% stole the idea for Ants and then made Shrek to make Disney look bad. Hey, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. You either kill or get killed. You either steal or get stolen from. I think Disney should know this better than anyone else. Uh, In the words of Rick Astley, you know the rules, and so do I. (laughs) That is my favorite meme format right now. Um, Alright, so, Vista Vision cameras were used to film the live-action scenes. Um, Charles Fisher, the voice of Roger, was on set in a Roger costume to help with the chemistry between Roger and Eddie. So, this is like a, like a schizophrenic, heroin-addicted Donnie Darko. I, I mean, I think this would just be the normal Donnie Darko, and whatever the fuck you just said is just Donnie Darko. Okay, so it's all just Donnie Darko. <laughs> it's all, every movie is just Donnie Darko, but like with different actors and different scenarios. I like this idea. I also really want to see the behind-the-scenes footage of this guy running around in a costume. Well, he was like off-screen, right? Yeah, so, of course. Like, well, but, you know, he's just standing there in a fucking funny costume. I'll put it on the Facebook page so you can all see. It's fucking ridiculous. Can you imagine um, being like a craft services guy who decided to drop acid before coming to work that day? Hello, I'm Roger Rabbit. Oh, can no. I get a grilled cheese, please? Oh. Oh, no. Stop! The only onset suicide was the craft services guy. Well, so this this movie has a higher body count than The Wizard of Oz, even though that allegedly also had at least one suicide, which turned out to be... Allegedly. Allegedly not true. That wasn't the only Roger Rabbit on set, though, because during filming, uh, to kind of plan out the actions, they actually had a life-size rubber mannequin of Roger Rabbit to... <laughs> To plan out the action of seeds and so that the actors could be like, okay, that's where Roger is. All right. Fuck this. I, <laughs> like, I get if it works, it works, but I could not, I don't think I could do it. I, I am very good at, you know, suspension of disbelief. You know, I can, I can do that. I don't think I could do this. You already have the guy in the bunny suit. You have the rubber rabbit. Which is very suggestive nowadays. You can't just say rubber rabbit and have people not think about sex toys these days. But oh no, rabbit. I'll, I'll have to put a picture of that on the Facebook page too because it 100% looks like a sex toy. Oh my god. Move on. Move on. Okay. The real world objects held by the tunes were actually either held up by robotic arms or by strings with puppeteers attached to them. And the way that they did that was uh, most of the sets were built on with massive gaps underneath, almost like a um, like a warehouse size interesting in order for the puppeteers to be underneath the thing so like in the uh this the tune spittoon thing or whatever it is like the thing where daffy duck and uh donald duck are playing dueling pianos yeah yeah the speakeasy thing yeah the speakeasy thing all those trays were uh used with um puppeteering underneath the set so they would watch like a computer like a tv monitor and see what they were doing and then in post they just animated over like the little wires and shit i again could not imagine being the poor guy from craft services that showed up after dropping acid that day. any of these days <laughs> bad time to be on acid. just a bad time to be on acid in general it was the 80s acid yeah, was kind of out the door you know like cocaine and bath salts were kind of more the thing hey man uh, i'm sure roger rabbit's great on bath salts. i i can't imagine just one 
one shot does so much to him. I can't imagine what bath salts would do. Um, I'm pretty sure he would eat the entirety of Toontown. Maybe that's the sequel. <laughs> Similarly, uh, the scene with Benny the car, uh, how they got uh, Ben Hoskins in the car with them, mm -hmm. was um, it was basically like a little ATV that was piloted by a guy who was wearing like pretty much like an all black like um, morph suit. And he was driving the ATV and Bob Hoskins was just acting, you know, to thin air. Like there was nothing beside him. There was no Benny to actually talk to. So, and then they just animated over all of that in post. I, yeah, yeah. Bad day for the guy on acid again. <laughs> there must have been a strict no acid policy right after that first suicide of the craft services guy. Right. Uh, <sighs> my god it would be almost more fun to just watch the unedited footage of this oh i'll like i said i'll have to send you some shit because there's a lot of it it's funny um and then the scene where roger is hiding in the sink was actually accomplished by bob hoskins making all the splashes in the water nice <laughs> yeah so that was actually a very practical effect um the exterior of um, the Maroon Cartoon Studios in exterior was actually Desilu Studios, which is Lucille Ball's studio. Lucille Ball. Where do I know that name from? I love Lucy. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I know that. Of course I you knew that. Didn't, you did not know that, and that makes me so sad. I'm going to have to fine your parents or something for, for like, just doing this to you. Yeah, um, I, I do. All right. So that was the... Um, normal live action production um after all that was over there was still a absolute shit ton to do in post-production because this is an animation hybrid so all the animation had to be done then and uh they did it for about 14 months amazing 14 months which is honestly amazing for how much they had to do here um robert williams who was the animation director on this had a noticeable disdain for disney's bureaucracy but he played nice because Spielberg promised to get his film The Thief and the Cobbler produced and distributed. So I a little feel like bit that's of a kind of uh, a carrot thing. Uh, what, that's from the movie. He's talking about the horse and the carrot, and which is ironic because you know Roger's a rabbit and he eats carrots, and then you know your guy over here is being tempted with the carrot. I need to stop. You just. <laughs> I need to stop. I know. I I know this is rough for you, buddy. I'm trying to get through it for you. Um, the Disney movie, the Disney Animation Studio had actually been moved to London due to budget cuts. They were moved off a lot in L.A. where Walt Disney had originally put. Them. This was because, of, like I said, a string of failures from the animation studio. So, like, the company was, like, no longer believing in the animation studio. Wait, they moved to London for budgetary reasons. Apparently it was cheaper. I... They should have just filmed on scene in Washington, D.C. Because that's where all the fucking tunes are. <laughs> I am on congressman. location on Capitol Hill. I am congressman making congressman jokes. Um... <laughs> Um, this Please film clap. was made- Please clap. Just clap Please so just he'll- clap. so he'll stop. I think it's important to stress here that this movie was made before Disney had really started using computer animation or like computer generated graphics to uh, help move the process along. So every single one of these animations was done by hand. And the Impressive. way they did and the way they did that was they would draw on black and white film cells, the animation, and then they would put that composite animation together and then they would send it to the ink and to the ink department. And then it was sent to Industrial Light and Magic who kind of like put three different layers of animation on this so it's like the original like a um a darker toned version of that animation and then like a slightly lighter one to give it more of like a three-dimensional effect so they so th colored this thing they just got the different sides in the different like shades and put them together right 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 and so that's how that's how the animation got put in there like they literally just painted over the film cells it, if it works it works if it works it works so um and you know like th this has kind of been done previously with uh, mary poppins and the reluctant dragon both from disney and also anchors away where uh gene kelly is dancing with jerry mouse you've probably seen that before um but so it's it's a very complicated process it's not fun for anybody <laughs> hey um, if the end product is what matters that's what they crank out that's what they shove down your throat and that's what they use to make you think that it's okay to put fluoride in the water dude fluoride is good for the soul man you just don't know it yet you um know, arguably it's terrible for your soul and it closes the third eye it is is that is that how we uh came to just accepting that birds are real and that birds aren't fake yeah pretty much i'm telling you dude when the government shut down like what was that last year i didn't see one goddamn bird i'm a believer anyway <laughs> um the animation was actually a challenge for the animators because of zemeckis's trademark dynamic camera moves so you know like he's constantly moving the camera like around in like 360 degrees and that mm -hmm. is super fucking hard to like animate in i believe it 
So they had a lot of issues with that. It's probably why it took so long to do this. But it also kind of like there was also like real world implications for like what the cartoons were doing. So like, you know how like Jessica the Rabbit's dress sparkles in that um, speakeasy scene? Yeah. They got that effect of like having like the shimmers go on the audience by taking a plastic bag with holes in it and putting dress fabric on top of it and shining a stage light. A little lackluster considering what the final product looks like. Right. And uh, you know what? It's all always simple it's always simple like you know like it's like foley artists like the sound of a bone breaking is literally just celery break yeah, yeah like like it's so much less than you would imagine it being and so that kind of wraps up on the post-production you know like this was a uh, this was kind of like a really long process but the end result was really really good and uh, that led to a great release um but before it was released uh eisner and zemeckis had a lot of disagreements about the risque nature of the film uh however because of the contracts zemeckis had final cut privileges privileges and refused to make cuts to this movie where is the problem here uh, is it, uh, the, the Jessica Rabbit stuff? Is it the, uh, is it the violence? Is, what, what exactly was their problem, do you think? All of the above, probably. It's not, it's not so much, like, because I think a lot of the risque content would go over kids' heads. Mm-hmm. But it, it is there. And also, like, I think the, I think the weirdest thing is Bob Hoskins being, like, you know, half naked in one scene. Oh, I guess that, that <laughs> whatever. R- right, 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 right. But it was also kind of in a sexual connotation because, you know, Jessica Rabbit's, like, you know, being all over him and shit. So, you know, okay, I, I, Jessica Rabbit was, you know, an awakening for a lot of kids, I think. <laughs> what, do you think that the the opposite is true as well? Like, do you think your private investigator here with his, like, pants off is an awakening for other people? Like, everybody else is finding out that they're straight, but there's the one kid in the back who's like, oh, man, that detective in his pants. <laughs> I, you know, I, I hope that it... I mean, Bob Hoskins had, like, three kids. I mean, I'm hoping that it's, it, he did something for somebody. I I guess. Uh, you know what? You're right, though. It probably does go over kids' heads, mostly. I mean, like when you put Jessica Rabbit with Roger Rabbit and Noah can figure out why they're together, and really all they had to do was think about how much rabbits like to fuck. Exactly. And Jessica Rabbit's not even a rabbit, but I guess she gets the last name from Roger Rabbit, which I guess his last name is Rabbit, which is weird. Yeah. That's a weird implication I never thought about until just now. Yeah, on the note. <laughs> anyway, so Roy E. Disney, who is Walt Disney's nephew, suggested that the film be released under Disney's Touchstone label instead of the Walt Disney banner, just so that, you know, like, the Walt Disney Studios didn't have to be forever, like, associated with this movie. Again, considering the history of Disney, this is what they were worried about. I think it was because of the other history they were also worried about this. Like, they can't be the racist company and the company that, like, made, like, you know, 10-year-old boys go home and jerk off for the first time. Like, they can't be both. I... Gross. This film had (laughs) a gross and it is also gross (laughs) this movie grossed 329,803,958 worldwide and at the time was the 20th highest grossing film in history good for them that's all i'm gonna say good for them they they made the money back i guess it was a risk i don't know i i feel like if i was handed the script i'd be like this is out of the park this is great let's do it it's no juno but uh, they still made their money back in some. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Um, and then the movie was released on VHS and Laserdisc on October 12th, 1989. I'm so glad this got a Laserdisc release. That just... Yeah, and mm. interestingly enough, John, I have a little weird thing about the, the, uh, the Laserdisc copy of this. Oh boy, is that the first, is that your sexual waking was on the Laserdisc copy? I mean, bitch, it might have been. Um, There was actually a bit of a controversy involving the Laserdisc version of the film because it had a scene that if you slowed it down, which you could do on Laserdisc, you can like look at um, like frame by frame. And apparently there was a part of it where you could see Jessica Rabbit naked. Hmm. And it's been debunked. And I think people have like made like a bigger deal out of it than it really is. Yeah. Because, you know, like just in animation, like, you know, if you're doing movement like i mean like and her boobs are fucking huge let's just let's just like put it out on front street like her boobs are fucking huge like they're gonna move a lot and it's gonna look like it's coming off but it's not okay i see what you mean there yeah I, How all you have to do is put the idea out there in the world, and someone on the internet's just gonna make it, and then it may as well be because here exactly is. because here it is, and they can say whatever they want because you can't prove it. <laughs> but anyway, so that that was the film's release history. Um, it was the reception upon release was a near universal acclaim, ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, eighty three out of one hundred on Metacritic. Um, it won Academy Awards for Best Editing, Best Sound Design, Best Visual Effect, and a Special Achievement Award for Richard Williams. So like. 
like they had to make an oscar for how good this shit was that's really cool i mean it is kind of groundbreaking though especially for the time right because no one had ever tried this before and of course like we said this led the way to space jam roger rabbit sprinted so that space jam could fucking I'm really into it, dude. I'm so hyped right now. I think that was technically Mortal Kombat, what you just did right now, but that's okay. Okay, yeah. It's not pump up the jam. It's it's Mortal Kombat theme. Okay. Okay. But speaking of Mortal Kombat, they could have just easily turned this movie into a Warner Brothers Disney tournament fighter. Dude, where's that game? I want that game. I want to see, um, who's another Disney character that's like Jessica Rabbit? I want to see Jessica rabbit fight um, um the onceler the once that is a weird mashup um, i i just want to see chungus versus chippendale now that is a fight i would like to see see chungus has the height and weight advantage but chippendale there's two of them you know they're a dynamic duo exactly it's kind of like fighting donkey kong with the ice climbers on smash brothers it's just like that except it's big chungus and chippendale <laughs> and big chungus has special powers that we don't know about I cannot entertain this anymore. Okay. I'm sorry I brought this idea into the world. <laughs> what you can entertain is that on December 16th, 2016, the film was inducted into the National Films Archive in Washington, in Washington D.C. for being historically and aesthetically relevant to the United States. And you know what? This is one step along its uh, legacy, and maybe the next step is having it burnt onto a golden disc and shot into space so that alien boys can have their weird sexual awakening with Jessica Rabbit as well. Holy shit, is that what their women look like? And then they come here and destroy the planet when they find out Jessica Rabbit is not a real person. They're like, you lie on this planet, fuck you! You know what? <laughs> we're At that point, for self-preservation, we're probably going to get the person that looks the most like her and then just, like, chop them up under the knife until they look exactly like her. That sounds terrifying. You know what, um, dystopia, but we live we live in trying times, and sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures. Jesus Christ. Um, Alright, let's get through the legacy of this, like, what happened after all of this. Um, the film spawned three video games, um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit on the Game Boy and the NES, and Bugs Bunny's Crazy Castle for the PC, which had Roger Rabbit as a playable character, and I don't know how the rights for that work out, uh, don't ask me. There's yeah, not a lot of information. Uh, ugh. Crazy Castle was also on the NES, but I don't think it had the playable Roger Rabbit character. No, no, no. Th- and I think this was a Japan-only thing, so I extra don't know how that works. Yeah, who knows? Who cares? But it happened. I I, I watched I watched a playthrough of it. It happened. Um, yeah, the NES game is terrible. It, it is god-awful. Um, there were also three uh, Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman shorts produced for uh, Disney to put in front of their other movies. So, uh, Tummy Trouble played before Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, Roller Coaster Rabbit played in front of Dick Tracy. And uh, Trail Mixed Up played before A Far Off Place, which I have no idea what the fuck that movie is. This is just what Disney doing what Disney does best. They reach up and they grab that tiny, tiny little animated utter nipple and they go, boink, 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 and milk it. Milk it for all it's worth. Exactly. Just like like putting a 45 minute Olaf fucking Christmas special in front of Coco for no goddamn reason. Why would you do that, Disney? <sighs> I just wanted to see Coco. I wanted to see something, you know, that wasn't completely whitewashed and then you put white people in it anyway. Fuck. Um <laughs> is Olaf a white person? I- how could he not be? He's snow. I, I don't like the implications of this. If you can just take whatever the non-human character is made of and say that's their race, then we've got a lot of problems <laughs> on our hands. Okay, so Olaf is snow, but then every other character is white. Anyway, that's not the point here. Wait, is the um, reindeer white? He might as well be. He know what he did. Um, Roger Rabbit also inspired a ride in Disneyland that stands, for now, mm-hmm. um, in, uh, in the Toontown section of Disneyland called Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin. Ah. Um, and, uh, interestingly enough, um, and this just proves that, uh, Imagineers do exactly what the fuck you think they do. Um, John, you are, you are aware of the term Imagineer, correct? How could I not be? The architects of all the things I don't like. Exactly. Um, so the way they got the idea for Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin and to see if it would work, they actually took the teacups from Mad Tea Party and put it on Pinocchio's Daring Journey and rode through it. And they were like, hey, this would be a cool ride. Yeah, sure. Um, just put like a couple <laughs> Roman candles 
candles on the side, light them when you're going around in a circle and just, <laughs> it just launch there them actually, all over the park. There actually are pyrotechnics in the Roger Rabbit ride, and therefore it breaks down a lot. Uh, it, it makes sense. Uh, whatever. Uh, so they just mash rides together and are like, let's put some Roger Rabbit paint on it. I mean, th- this was a this was a unique ride. It wasn't like there was something there before it. This was uh, made to open with uh, the Toontown section to uh, kind of flesh it out because the Toontown section was actually originally like um it was like the disney afternoon section of the park so this is where like you know goof troop and uh, gummy bears and uh, chippendale rescue rangers all that shit was here uh-huh. and then they kind of like tried to tool it back so it wouldn't involve the disney afternoon block as much and roger rabbit was like fucking huge at this time like like this was a cultural phenomenon like people fucking loved this movie yeah yeah i, I see why so it made sense to put it in there and people loved it so much that you have to think this is disney why wasn't there a sequel and in fact there was a prequel that has been penned and has been sitting on disney's desk since 1988 of course it was and the prequel was uh the proposed prequel was called roger rabbit 2 toon platoon and it saw um it's like a roger rabbit origin story and it has him um he enlists in the army for world war ii and goes and fights nazis but ends up in hollywood and meeting uh jessica rabbit and you know getting his start as a hollywood star all right few problems with this uh number one if you call it toon platoon and you don't allow charlie sheen to be be like the main human actor in it what are you doing <laughs> um second off um i i don't think i like the idea of roger rabbit having like a gun <laughs> right I, it, he it did it already dangerous. and it was very unsettling <laughs> I, um, in addition to that he is now a veteran and who knows what happens <laughs> to him over there so now he's gonna come back and <laughs> what is he gonna have like shell shock <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, he's gonna but... hear some cartoon bullshit, like Wiley e. Coyote setting off a bomb, and all of a sudden it's all gonna come back to him, and then it, it it's gonna be really rough for him. It's gonna be a rough time for Mr. Think about Rabbit. It. It's Toontown. That type of stuff there happens all the time. Right, so, like, it's kinda like fireworks for, like, a dog, where they, like, have to run and hide, except it's a cartoon character, so he's gonna, like, do the most, and probably destroy the town. Yeah, I have to agree. It's not a good idea. Right. Mix- mixing PTSD and, uh, crazy animated character but you know there was some light in here because uh michael eisner the disney ceo at the time didn't like the idea of doing another roger rabbit movie because he saw the first one as a fluke he did not believe in this movie while it was being filmed he didn't think he was gonna make his money back and he was just happy he made more than he put in yeah he made like five or six times more than he put into it. exactly and then also yikes nazis okay sure but we're not tied down to the idea of nazis i mean we, we could move it up to korea or vietnam if we're gonna go this far with it why not make it operation desert storm right Right, right, right. But, I mean, this would have been made, like, right after, and it's supposed to be a prequel to the first movie. So World War II is the only one that would have made sense. Unless you wanted to go World War One, but that would be weird. You could literally just do Act of Valor, where Roger Rabbit is in a Navy SEAL team. Okay. Everything else is the same. Interesting. You know, you get one guy over here on, like, the rigid hull boat, and you get another guy, he's, like, ready to, like, waterboard terrorists, and he's from the CIA, and, like, the SEALs don't like him a lot because, you know, he's just a CIA spook. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> I'm just proposing a new roger rabbit war movie that might be relevant today how about this how about i pitch a sequel to roger rabbit that might get made okay sure Uh, lay it on me okay so this is kind of a la um the muppets uh reboot that came out in 2011 but i think a similar format would work for roger rabbit i propose a roger rabbit sequel where roger rabbit is kind of like you know depressed because he hasn't been in a cartoon movie in a long time because 3d animation is the new big thing so it's kind of like a movie about like you know bring trying to bring back 2d animation and how 2d animation and 3d animation are the same thing essentially and how they should both be respected equally i like this a lot better than uh the war movie idea i do too and i think this could actually work like if they were gonna bring roger rabbit back which i i don't know why they would at this point other than if they just really didn't want to close down that ride at disneyland i mean hey uh you gotta keep the blood fresh so that the uh the kitties can come and lap it up Exactly. Just yuck it up, kiddos. But anyway, so I, I think that that would be the only logical thing to do if they were going to go ahead with a Roger Rabbit sequel now. But I, if it didn't happen, you know, 20 years ago, I don't think it's going to happen now. Who knows? Uh, we're getting all kinds of Disney reboots now. Basically, they are just selling most of their catalog to us in 4K and saying, here's our product for this year. And I'm buying it because I'm dumb and I don't care anymore. Hey, man, that's all you. It's all me. This has all been us. 
This has been for your information. Uh, John, that is Roger Rabbit in a nutshell for you. Um, did you, do you have a better appreciation for the film now that you know a little bit of the backstory? Uh, I liked the movie watching it. I thought it was entertaining. I do appreciate it more now, knowing the backstory behind it. Um, I'll probably watch it again at some point. It's pretty good. I didn't like it as much as I like Casablanca. So, uh, you heard it here first. Roger Rabbit, not as good as Casablanca. And I don't think anybody would argue with you on that. Um, well, that's great. I'm glad when I can kind of turn some of your hatred of a movie around. Um, Space Jam was better. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> before before we get any more hot takes in here, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week, guys. Uh, for For Your Inflammation, I'm Zach. And I'm John. Go watch a new movie this week, guys. See you next time. All right, edit point. My neighbor just revved up his car and drove away. I can't with the cars. People just put these big-ass things on their cars, and they're like... And then they just... Yeah, like, I, I'm really done with that. Like, there's a few things that I'm really done with. Like, I'm done with team sports. Uh, I'm done with really loud cars. Uh, I'm done with, um, like, plastic wrap. Like, what the... Why? Just use foil or don't. Like, put it in a cardboard box or use foil. Stop putting plastic wrap on everything. Like, like so, like, let's say, for instance, like, Blu-ray cases, you don't want, like, foil or, like, plastic wrap to be on those. Like, are you talking about shrink wrap or are you talking about, like, putting plastic wrap on, like, food? I'm talking about single-use plastics. So, like, a DVD case you get use of for a long time. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Uh, like, a like a like a, a box that you keep like papers in or like an organizer or something okay that could be made of plastic don't put those little plastic shitty rings on the tops of cupcakes don't do that shit what if someone made it in a factory in china put it on a boat shipped it across the ocean to get here get put on a truck shipped to a factory put on top of a goddamn cupcake put inside another plastic box sent to the grocery store so you could pop it open take it off throw it away and eat the cupcake what the fuck it, it does seem a little ridiculous, especially when it's, like, a ring that, like, is pretty much made out of the same, like, ring thing that they make ring pops out of. Yeah. And so it's, it, it is stupid. Like, single-use plastics need to go away. But what I will say is we need to use up what we have. So, like, we need to halt the use of single-use plastics, but we need to use up what we have because if we don't use what we have, it was a waste. Fair enough. I, I like your philosophy. 